Searching for last-minute gifts? Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750-milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for. 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit. 20% off gifts to celebrate the season. And 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC. In stores and online now through December 21st. Please sip responsibly. The following program has been pre-recorded. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show, a really, truly special program ahead for you. And I'm frankly, I think every program we do is special, but I've got uh, a friend, a patriot, Someone who I think uh, your Sunday will be better after hearing Dr. Ron Hugate. He's in studio with us for this edition. We, of course, could not do this program without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com. As you are well aware by now, if you listen, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day and right now focusing as the deadline quickly approaches, Focusing on those veterans that have potential health issues, maybe it's you, someone you know, from their time at Camp Lejeune. Give them a call and at least get a free consultation, 303-999-9999. That's 303-999-9999 or bosonlaw.com. The man that you're about to meet is somebody I wish I could actually say I got to spend more time with, but he's very, very important in my life because through some of the transitions and job changes and so forth, uh, he's been here. He is he's truly a good, good man. His name is Dr. Ron Hugate, and his first name is not Doctor. His first name is Ron. But, my man, it is so great. Usually our, our time together is, what, 15, 20 minutes. But I appreciate so much you being today's show. It's great to be here, Stefan. Thanks for inviting me. Nice to be able to sit down for a little bit and chat. Exactly. We we meet, I want to say it was like 2015, 2016, or 2017. You were at Pres St. Luke's, and I was just recapping earlier in the week. With, well, how did you get to know Dr. Ron Hugate? And I said, well, actually, it was because I saw a press release, and you were all doing something at, at Pres St. Luke's at the time. And I follow up, and then you were the expert, one of the experts that I connected with. And then I find out, wait a minute, you're not, quote unquote, just a Denver area surgeon. You served this country. You, um, Your first basic job as a physician is in Baghdad. You spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan as well. But that's how we, we connect. And you have military in your family. So I think that's probably a good place to start. Uh, your fourth generation? Yes, uh, fourth generation. So my great-grandfather served in World War One, grandfather in World War Two. He was actually a glider pilot on D-Day Good Lord. Uh, with the 101st Airborne. My father served in the Air Force and was stationed in Hawaii at the uh, Air Force Base there during the Vietnam War. And then when I uh, came sort of 
to the end of my college, but beginning of my medical school training, I joined the reserves. So I joined the reserves, Army Reserves, in 1994 and sort of progressed through training with uh, medical school. And then, um, as you said, as soon as I had received my uh, training certificate to become an orthopedic surgeon, within two weeks, uh, I was called to uh, get deployed out to Iraq. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yes, sir. Within two weeks, actually. I'd finished my training at Penn State uh, to become an orthopedic surgeon. I had moved to Rochester, Minnesota, which is where the Mayo Clinic is. I was to do a two-year fellowship there. And uh, before I could unpack, I got a call from a very um, southern <laughs> colonel in the Army, and he asked me if I was sitting down. His, his, the, the words were, are you sitting down, son? <laughs> you know it's serious and then. So I sat down, and um, and he – described for me that I had been um, deployed, selected for deployment, and that I would be on a plane to uh, first Texas to go through processing, Fort Bliss, Texas, and then to uh, Baghdad, Iraq. And uh, as you said, my first job as an attending orthopedic surgeon was at Ibn Sina Hospital in the Green Zone in Baghdad, Iraq. It was almost surreal. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Virginia, pretty heavy military in Virginia, as you know. I grew up in Williamsburg area. They have, you know, naval bases, the uh, Norfolk Naval bases there, Air Force bases. There's a CIA base there. Um, so all, all branches there are pretty well represented. I grew up around family members who were in the military and also a lot of friends uh, who were in the military as well. Was it predestined for you? Was it a given that back in 94 you joined the reserves? Was that just – did you kind of know about it? Like know where your life was probably going to go? Yeah, I really felt like I wanted to join the military, contribute. Um, You know, I'm really proud of our country. I'm happy and I feel extremely lucky to have been born here. So you try to do something to sort of contribute back to that and to, you know, make the world a better place in in some sense. So I joined the military in the footsteps of my father, grandfather, great-grandfather. To be honest with you, I didn't expect much to happen. The reserves at that time had not been activated in a long time. Uh, And so I felt like, you know, I was doing medical training that was sort of consuming my life at the time. I wanted to make myself available to the military if they needed help, but not necessarily be a full-time military person. And at the time, uh, I I forget how many years it had been, but it had been decades since the uh, Army Reserve was activated for a foreign war. So you kind of think, okay, you know, you'll do it. You're fulfilling kind of this patriotic duty. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can still kind of still focus on where your career is going. Right. I wanted to have a civilian career. I wanted to take care of um, patients with uh, tumors and sort of weird, unusual problems. But I also did feel the need just out of patriotism and also out of sort of um, to follow in the family footsteps yeah. to, to serve. So I'm really glad I did. It, it was, as you know, I got deployed, you know, four times over a period of about 10 years, and it was hard on the family. And But it was really very, very fulfilling. Even though I was, you know, on the other side of the earth and in a weird place and really scared as hell, to be you're honest seeing, with you. You're seeing horrific <clears throat> things. Absolutely. But I was taking care of the soldiers getting uh, injured and uh, people who made sacrifices on our behalf back at home. So 
you know, it, it wasn't a great, comfortable feeling to be there, but it, it was really nice to know that we were helping those people who, who just made such tremendous sacrifices to keep what we have here so special. Our guest this edition of the American Veteran Show is Dr. Ron Hugate. We're going to talk a lot about his experience in both Iraq and Afghanistan coming up, and we'll start in depth uh, with, of course, all due respect. And if there are areas that Ron doesn't want to talk about, he knows that uh, I know that we can just simply move on. But in about the minute we have left before our first break, uh, I want to go back to either you better sit down, son, or are you sitting down, son? Okay, we kind of understand where the messaging is. But then give me a little bit more on what was your reaction? Did you have to sit down? Were you like, holy crap, this is really happening? It was a little bit of shock, I'll be honest with you. So interesting story. My daughter, um, my youngest daughter, was born on March the 19th, 2003. How do we remember that? Uh, that's the day that the war started. As, as we were in the hospital with her, I remember turning on the news and seeing all the, the light show over Baghdad, you know, the shock and awe campaign. Right. That, that was the day. And really didn't register to me that I was in the reserves and about to become available for deployment. And so I picked my very young family up. Uh, We moved from Penn State out to Rochester, Minnesota to start, you know, additional training there. And really, uh, maybe naively, it was the last thing on my mind. I was uh, was looking forward to some research that we had been excited about and, and learning about, you know, tumors and other sort of things I was focusing on at the time. And when I look back on it, it makes perfect sense, but it was a complete shock. I did have to sit down. Um, (laughs) I did have to then explain that to my wife, uh, who had a newborn baby, and we had uh, two older sons at that time, a couple years older. So it was a hard time just getting settled. You know, she was there, new place, didn't know anybody. Minnesota is... um, different for us. We grew up in the South. And then I had to pick up and leave her for a few months. We will pick up the story with Dr. Ron Hugate coming up. And uh, again, a true patriot here. We're underway. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stefan Tubbs. We continue this week's American Veteran Show with uh, a, a man I'm lucky to call a friend. Uh, he is a patriot. Um, I know you send your thanks for Dr. Ron Hugate's service. Uh, we met many years ago uh, at Pres St. Luke's in Denver. And, Ron, you were just talking about, you know, you have the young family. Um, you're, you're activated, and you kind of—it was a shock, as you had said. I think that was your word. You go for some training to Texas. Do you remember? Can you, can you take us? Can your mind go there first and foremost? You remember when maybe it sinks in, oh, my God, I am in Baghdad, Iraq. And, of course, at that time, Saddam Hussein is on the run. Yes, I, I, I um, actually remember it pretty vividly. So, you know, our first stop was Fort Bliss, Texas, um, El Paso. Uh, really... You know, I I was in the military for reserves for a few years at that time, but I was a military, uh, you know, medical officer. And frankly, we have a hard time even remembering what hand to salute with sometimes. So (laughs) those were his words, not mine. We uh, we're expected to be good at um, 
treating soldiers with traumatic injuries, but um, no, no one really expects us to be, you know, uh, polished soldiers necessarily. So we spent a, a week or so there uh, sort of learning the ground rules and uh, getting equipment, uh, so much equipment you can barely carry it, uh, to be honest. And then and then we flew out by civilian airline um, to Kuwait. Yeah. And then in Kuwait, we exchanged then for a C-130. And we were flying in uh, to Baghdad International Airport, BIOP is uh, the what we called it back then. And um, I was introduced to a combat landing. Have you heard this term before? Brother, I'm not trying to name drop here. Um, my, my first embed as a journalist was 06. And I have been on a 130, C-130, and done the combat landing. And... Uh, I'm a Joe civilian, so to speak. <laughs> You're smiling right now. I'm smiling because while you were probably going, oh, uh, a guy like me, I was crapping my pants. Well, let me uh, explain for the for the viewers <laughs> at home who are not um, veterans. So <clears throat> if you have a secured airport, um, but the outer borders uh, are insecure, if you glide in at a low altitude and low speed, Total you, target. you are a target. Um, so... What we do, or what uh, the Air Force uh, pilots do, is they take us in at high altitude, and then we spiral down so that the— It's the like sp- a corkscrew. Exactly. And the spiral is so tight that you never leave the outer bounds of the secured area. So the idea is that if there is an RPG um, out there, it is not in a position to fire at you. Can I well, just say interject that, again, from a civilian point of view, me— um, it was like being on a roller coaster, but not necessarily fun. It's a great way to explain it. And and, uh, and remember, I was uh, a civilian as well. I mean, I never had been on a uh, airport uh, military aircraft either. I had no idea what the what this was. So, oh, by the way, did anybody tell you what was coming? Absolutely they, not. No, nope. <laughs> they didn't no. tell us that. Hey, by the way, in about ten minutes, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> Instead, I don't know. I'm sure it was the same. And trust me, I'm not trying to compare war stories here, for God's sake. But you're completely dark inside. I mean, lights out. Yeah, they try and make it as as a little of a target as they can, which I appreciate. But, but yeah, I had no idea what was happening. It was um, it was one of those uh, change your underwear kind of moments. And <laughs> thankfully, we you know after three or four spirals down, we um, we landed. And uh, of course, the pilot the pilots were just. Uh, uh, having a great time laughing in the front because they kind of knew. Well, you know what's they coming. Had, they had seen newbies come into the country before and had seen the the color uh, go away from our face <laughs> and the the cold sweat on our brow. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we made it in safely. But uh, that was my introduction to the to the military combat landing. What, what time of year was that? This would have been in July. Okay, late, late so July, early you, August. You're, you're landing in Baghdad, Iraq, in July. You you remember the heat? Yeah, I actually have a picture of the heat. Uh, the first day I was there, it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Amazing. They didn't prep you for that either, even, no, in, even, even in El Paso. That's our, right. Our guest is Dr. Ron Hugate, and he is coming up. Um, we hope to have a late spring release of our documentary film, Phantom, which is dealing with uh, phantom limb syndrome, phantom limb pain, and it's not just in the veterans and, and military community as well. But Dr. Hugate is is part of that project, and I'm forever in his debt for that. You, I want to get right to it in in, in this segment. You 
not too many days later. You know, there has to be obviously that first time where you are, after you've realized that you're in this hospital, uh, that you're going to see some trauma. You're going to see men and women who come in with severe injuries that most likely World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, they would not have, have even survived. And I want to, in our next segment, talk about that. But can you, and you don't know I'm going to ask you this, but can you remember maybe the first or second patient where it, it is for you, my man, it's baptism by fire. Yeah, I, I remember it actually very vividly. The 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 chief of uh, the surgery service at the hospital was an orthopedic surgeon, but he was a hand surgeon. And so um, in the military, you're kind of all lumped together as an orthopedic surgeon, but he was um, not very experienced in hip or pelvic trauma. And not that I was. I was a new graduate. I had a good training, but, um, but more so than a hand surgeon would be. So yeah. the first um, patient I cared for was actually an enemy prisoner of war who was um, uh, near an improvised explosive device and suffered an injury called a traumatic hemipelvectomy. And that's when the, the leg and the buttock uh, and half of the pelvis are kind of blown off by the, by the trauma of the explosion. And again, not to interrupt, but, but <clears throat> a past war, a World War II injury like that, that would have been fatal, no? Yeah, um, and this is an important uh, point, I think. The, the, the modern wars are different uh, than wars in the past, let's say Vietnam era and prior, because our um, flak and Kevlar uh, protection of the head and the thorax and the abdomen are outstanding. So in the past, in Vietnam, for example, if you were near an explosion, you would most likely die from that explosion. Um, however, in, in modern times, those protective uh, gear that we give our uh, soldiers uh, is so good that they will usually survive the explosion. However, uh, their arms and legs are not protected, and so they'll have traumatic amputations. So we got a, a bit of a baptism by fire in Baghdad uh, taking care of traumatic amputees from day one. Let me ask you, I, I, I know the answer. And I think anyone in the medical field would say, you know, you take the Hippocratic Oath. You, you, you do what you do. But also it's not lost on me the irony of your first patient was an enemy prisoner of war. Take me through the mental uh, of that. Uh, I, I think there's probably – I mean I don't agree with it, but there's probably some people. Why did we even care for that, that individual? They are the enemy. How do you respond to that? Well, it is hard. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think you turn on the the surgeon in you and you just kind of go through the uh, mechanics of caring for someone. But if you think about it, it is hard. And, and um, you know, they were um, – th- That patient that, may have wanted you dead. You know, that, oh, that's absolutely. my point. Yeah. And, and, and they were – you know, there were tattoos for the Fedayeen. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. That was an elite fighting force that um, that uh, worked for the Ba'ath Party and for Saddam Hussein. But – so they were marked and they were um, – those that could speak to us were not shy about the idea or the fact that they would um, kill us in an instant if they could. Um, so it was ironic in ways. However, honestly, uh, my job is pretty easy. Um, I uh, – I should say the purpose of my job is pretty easy. I don't make any judgments about people, mm-hmm. don't know their circumstances. I, when they come in, we, we, we take care of them. So I didn't have any trouble doing that. Uh, at night, though, after all the dust had settled, it was an ironic feeling. And 
um, it was um, – I, I think that's one of the things, hopefully, that sets us apart is that we care for everyone. Um, you know, we don't discriminate. We don't uh, adjust our triage based yeah. on who they were. We took care of everybody. Dr. Ron Hugate is our guest, an amazing patriot, an amazing human, an amazing individual. When we come back, we'll get into some more of what he saw, not only in Iraq, but in Afghanistan as well. And we'll wrap up the program by kind of getting an update on what Dr. Hugate does here in the Denver metro area as well. I'm Stephen Tubbs. Glad you're with us as we are into Season 7 of the program. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephen Tubbs. Welcome back, and thank you so much for making us hopefully a Sunday habit as we're into Season 7 of the American Veteran Show, and we continue our our one guest, one program with uh, with someone that I hope you're not just tuning in. By the way, if you are, you can always catch the podcast on uh, 710knus.com or americanveteranshow.com. Our guest is Virginia native, Dr. Ron Hugate, and I had a, a just such the good fortune of meeting him. can't believe how long. I mean, almost, what, six, seven, eight years ago, and he is truly one of the coolest, best, kindest people I have uh, had a chance to meet in quite some time. You, We had talked last, Ron, about the hospital you're in. Your first patient is an enemy POW who made it very clear that, yeah, we'll kill you, but you do what you do. Tell me, though, where you were. You guys, you, you were in, what, Saddam's personal hospital? Yeah, it's interesting. So you'll remember there was a green zone in central Baghdad. Right. This was an area a few blocks wide, maybe, that was secured. Um, and this is where the um, ruling party, the Ba'ath Party, um, lived. And they had their central headquarters, and there was a, a large palace for both uh, for Saddam and his uh, two sons, Uday and Kusay. I don't know if you remember oh, this. Oh, I sure this certainly crew. do. Yeah. Um, so uh, we essentially confiscated the main hospital there. Because it was in this area, it was the best hospital in the country, um, and it was called Ibn Sina Hospital. This is the hospital that was featured on um, Baghdad ER, the HBO series. And we were the first there. Um, we did have to clean out the ORs. There were pigeons and pigeon crap, and mm-hmm. you know we had to sort of make it cleanly enough for us to use um, but it was a facility that we were able to uh, to use, and there was a helipad, and so the the smaller teams in the field called forward surgical teams. They're kind of um, six, seven man surgical teams. Um, they would stabilize patients, transport them to us. Uh, our unit was called a combat surgical hospital, which is similar to the old mashes uh, mash units that you've heard of before. So we were able to take in. Uh, casualties uh, through the helipad from other uh, parts of the country. We had relatively good facilities. Um, interesting story is that uh, Saddam uh, suffered from kidney stones, apparently. So most of the hospital, third world hospital. However, uh, lithotripsy, CT scanner, all the things necessary for kidney stone treatment. For him. Absolutely the best that money could buy. <laughs> so we had um, better facilities than we had in the tents in the in the field, um, and it was a secure area, so it kind of made it the perfect uh, place for us to set up shop. 
Would you ever venture out into the field or would you stay primarily because of your expertise? You'd stay where, like you say, they'd stabilize and then come to you. I um, uh, was obviously a medical officer and those are considered uh, valuable assets. In the and military. high targets, right? And high targets. Um, so short answer is no, they would not allow us to go wow. anywhere. Now, I will tell you this. At the time, I was a young captain, which is the lowest ranking medical corps officer you can be. And there were two occasions where I had to leave um, Baghdad. One was to go to um, uh, a base near the Syrian border called Al-Assad. It's an old air base. Uh, and one of the surgeons there had a family emergency at home and had to leave, so I had to backfill for uh, a couple weeks there. So I took a nighttime uh, Chinook out to that area. Um, and then another time I had to go up in, in the, kind of the northern part of the country um, to, to Crete uh, to mm-hmm. uh, backfill there. The younger surgeons get picked on a little bit. They get dragged around because they don't have any say in the matter. Yeah, well, you uh, weren't that old, though, brother. <clears throat> No, I was brand new, newly minted uh, captain, so probably the lowest-ranking military officer in the country at the time. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Ron Hugate is our guest, and uh, I just – I so appreciate going back, and it's amazing. Uh, I had mentioned to you earlier, does that seem like 20 years ago? It it uh, time has gone fast. It does not, and it, it's and I have vivid memories of all of this. Right. So yeah, it, it doesn't seem like twenty years ago. Do you? Uh, and, and you're not going to offend me if the answer is no. I really can't stand this. I'm doing this because I'm a nice guy. But do you often? Do you? Th- is this on your mind a lot? Uh, you and I have talked off the air a lot about post traumatic stress, and and is this the most that maybe you've talked about it in a while? Yeah, I don't talk about it an awful lot. Um, even though I wasn't a combatant, some of the things I've seen extremely traumatizing. Um, so it is it is a little bit stressful to to bring it back. I think I was blessed that I was able to go and be in a place where I could help, and uh, and I was able to help you know hun- hundreds of people. Um, yeah, how many how many people do you think? I mean, just a rough estimate because I want to get into specifically. You know, you are a specialist in. Um, in limb loss, and you have done amazing things post your military career. But would you you would say hundreds of patients, right? Yeah, um, I was there uh, between July and December of of two thousand three. In fact, the the day I left the theater is the day they caught um, uh, Saddam Hussein in the spider hole. Yeah, yeah, I was wow hearing about that as I was leaving the country. So, yeah, um, during that time, Stefan, probably two hundred surgical cases, I would guess. Wow. Others um, would come in and may have shrapnel or, you know, smaller things that don't need emergent intervention. And so we would stabilize them and they would go out on the next plane to uh, usually to launch dual Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was a really high tempo. And, I, and we talked about this, I think, at, um, earlier, but the hospitals are manned based on data or were manned, I would say, based on data from the Vietnam area war. So. For every one orthopedic surgeon we had, like me, who took care of extremities, there were uh, eight general surgeons. And so what we learned very quickly is that most of these injuries are orthopedic. I I frankly could not keep up with them. And so um, me and my other uh, two colleagues there who were in orthopedics had to train the general surgeons how to deal with orthopedic trauma. And they're much older than you. They were at the time. I mean, were, were, wouldn't they have been some of them? Maybe I don't. I, I don't 
say this as gospel, but some of them could have been young in Vietnam. Yeah, I think we were at the tail end of probably yeah. of that group. Um, we had surgeons up into the uh, early 60s, maybe. So it's a possibility. Yeah, it was. And um, and it, it's just a it's an interesting it, it kind of shows you the the changes and the dynamics of warfare over that, uh, you know, 20 year yeah. period of time. Yeah. What about uh, I know that there was a number and I've talked to you off the air about this as well. There's there's pretty much a number that you know how many you know amputations that you had performed while in theater in Iraq. Yeah, during that period, um, I, I, I should say I completed about 100 amputations. Um, f- I'd say 75 to 100 amputations uh-huh. during that time. And again, most of these were done traumatically, you know, blast injury, uh, high-velocity high gunshot wound, and we were just completing the job, essentially. Right. Uh, but yeah, the numbers were pretty amazing. It yeah. really, um, looking back, it um, it the experience sort of sent me in a, in a direction and, and later sort of dovetailed with my experience and research at the Mayo Clinic. Um, I felt like I, I probably was where I should have been uh, to, to make all these things come together, but it really changed perspective and made me aware of a huge uh, issue that not many folks get to know about or see. Coming up in our final segment here on the program with Dr. Ron Hugate, I want to talk about what he's up to now um, some of his, uh, at least one that I know of, and I, I say this 10 times more than he does, 100 times more, the cocktail napkin idea. I want him to talk about that with us, as well as as he looks back 20 years later. It is not lost on me, and I know it's not lost on you listening, that um, he's gone there with us. And for every person uh, that will go there, I realize that there are a lot more that would never want to sit down and talk to me. At least we're not strangers, but... You know as well as I do that some of these uh, memories are not often shared, and that is why Dr. Hugate is such a treasure. Stay with us. We've got one more segment to come. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. We wrap up our final hour, a very special edition of the program with Dr. Ron Hugate. And I'm just, I'm lucky. I'm the lucky guy to call him a friend. And we've, we've heard him go back 20 years to 2003, gets to Baghdad International Airport, feels the heat, his, his indoctrination into the Iraq War in July of 2003, 75 to 100 amputations. Um, I will say we haven't smiled enough, and I just want to say that I had a chance when I was in Baghdad in the green zone, and I was only there, I think, one night, part, parts of two days, one night. And I was there with a couple of other journalists, and there was actually, believe it or not, it was very strange. It was a party at the old Saddam, like, equivalent of the White House, and Ron, there was a pool there, and I looked at the guy to my left, and I looked at the guy to my right, and I said, I'm jumping into this pool. (laughs) Hand to God, this is the truth. And they both said, what do you mean? Why? And I said, are you kidding me? And I don't feel like any more special than anybody else, but I'm like, someday I'm going to tell my grandchildren that during the Iraq War, 
Saddam is on the run, and I jumped into his swimming pool, and I did. And they said, well, these other guys said, by the way, well, what are we going to – I said, do you wear underwear? I jumped into <laughs> Saddam Hussein's pool, and it was a big one, baby, uh, <clears throat> in, 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 uh, in my skivvies. But um, Yeah, let, let me frame this for your listeners a little bit because yes. I, I know you know this. But as you fly over Iraq, um, it is complete poverty. Like totally huts, um, you Pe- know. People are li- literally living in trash in dump dumps. A hundred percent. And so you arrive in the green zone, and this is where all the bath party lives. And you pull up to this building, and it literally has a bust of Saddam Hussein uh, on every corner. Right, almost laughable. Yeah. Uh, all of his floors marble. Um, go, go to his bathroom. Even the bathroom stalls gold. marble gold. gold. Yep. Um, I had a similar feeling as you. I actually have a picture of myself sitting on his throne with a M16 and bloody boots on. I thought, wow, I'm going to take advantage of this. Yep. I, I completely agree with you. Um, it, it was insulting to the Iraqi people the way he lived. Uh, if you, in comparison to the way they lived, and you mentioned his sons earlier in the program. Same with them. They, 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 were, they were brutal killers. <clears throat> brutal killers. Their homes were. Almost as lavish. Um, I, I know the pool you're talking about. Um, uh, you know, it, it was such a dichotomy of lifestyle and sort of gave you a peek into what kind of a narcissistic uh, leader he was. Yeah. Very satisfying, though, to sit on his throne and I'm sure for you to swim in his pool. It certainly was. Dr. Ron Hugate is our guest. Let me ask you, you know, you, you didn't see the exact same uh, as far as at least uh, numbers, but you were in Afghanistan as well. Tell me what that was like. Right. So Afghanistan was more um, 2010. Um, I had been deployed uh, at that point in November, and a lot of the Taliban and a, a lot of the fighting in the mountains um, during the winter months goes down because it's winter. Winters are really harsh there. And so we had um, way – uh, way lower operational tempo than we did in July of, you know, 2003 in Baghdad. Still the same kinds of injuries, you know, improvised explosive devices, um, high-energy gunshot wounds, um, roughly the same ratio of Americans to enemy prisoners, uh, but just a, a, a lower uh, operational tempo because of the time of year. What do you do now? So I came back, um, you know, stronger, smarter, hopefully. Uh, passionate about a few things. Um, my specialty is in limb salvage. So I'm a, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I do joint replacements. I, I do revision joint replacements. And then I also take care of people whose limbs are at risk for whatever reason, trauma, infection, tumors. Um, I've just developed a lot of tools and tricks over the years for hopefully avoiding amputations. And then for those who need amputations, I've I've, uh, learned how to do those well and hopefully give them good functional extremities going forward. So uh, I'm considered a limb salvage expert, um, and uh, part of that is parlayed from my experience in the military. You are a very humble man, and I I know you don't even like talking about this, but I love the story. And one of the first, uh, as we meet, I I learn from one of your fellow colleagues at PSL who was uh, a Canadian dude, and you know who I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. uh, He's telling me he's singing your praises, and I know you've sung his as well, but 
I, I meet a veteran who is flying in, I believe, from Georgia to see you mm-hmm. and and uh, to not to University of Colorado to see you personally as as his physician. Mm-hmm. And and I hear this cocktail napkin story. Can you? Summarize. I mean, and I don't think it's BS. I, I believe that it, it was literally right a, a cocktail napkin idea. Yeah. So um, uh, I was alluding to a few minutes ago how things sort of came together. So when I got to the Mayo Clinic, um, my first year there was a research year, and we were researching porous materials. And I don't want to bore your listeners, but <laughs> the idea is instead of an implant in your body being solid metal. Uh, it's actually porous. And so, you know, part of it is metal, part of it is human tissue. And there's advantages to that. Um, Fast forward then to the experience I had in Baghdad with uh, multiple traumatic amputees and young people. And it turns out that technology is directly transferable to amputees. Uh, When amputees wear sockets, there's oftentimes trouble. They, um, the sockets don't fit well. They cause sores. People fluctuate in weight. They may perspire. A number of things make sockets not a good uh, fit for them. And so one of the things we've developed is, uh, and has been developed over decades, is how to directly attach external prosthetics to the skeleton of an individual. And there's lots of advantages to that. One of the, one of the obstacles to that is that when the implant goes through the skin, there's uh, an area that can become infected. And so this gentleman, Dr. Dickey, and I Uh, And others have been attempting to use these porous metal, almost like cyborg-type implants to um, act as an interface from the outer body to the inner body and to help prevent infection. And so we had uh, um, this gentleman uh, was an Iraq War veteran that uh, came to see us from Georgia for that procedure. As we wrap up with Dr. Ron Hugate, I I feel it's fitting, and I I – send my and extend my my condolences you lost your wife and uh, i had a chance to to have uh, a couple of drinks and and some food with with you and your wife um and i just want to acknowledge that 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 is yet another obstacle that you have gone through and you continue to help others you also have a fifth generation into the United States military, and he's, uh, I believe, currently at my hometown of, of San Diego. I mean, I, I just hope you know how much people listening and how much I appreciate you and your family and your wife for putting up with all of your crap, right, <laughs> over over the years. And here, you know, new, newborn baby, and, and here you go, and you're, you're, you're deployed, and I I know that she was your back backbone as well, but your son continues this military legacy. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point you bring up. Uh, um, for every person you see deployed, there's a family at home, and there's a, a a wife or a husband holding down the fort. And she did that for many years. She passed away almost two years ago now. Um, so we're um, uh, I was just re- really grateful to have her and to have her sort of hold the family together while we were out in deployment. I can't imagine how proud of your – all your children, obviously. Yeah. You're a great dad. But um, to to be in the United States Navy. Yeah, my oldest son is in San Diego. I'm not sure he'll ever come back. It's such a great town. I your, think he's – Your hometown. Yeah, he's, he's joining my son. <clears throat> he's like, yeah, Dad, I'm never coming back. <laughs> he is a, a rescue dive swimmer in the Navy uh, out there and um, – just uh, enlisted uh, a little over a year ago now 
um, and uh, loves what he does. Um, he's a real athletic kid. He he's out to help people. Um, so I, I'm really really proud of him. Yeah, and that would be the fifth generation of uh, of our family that's been continuously in the military. Really proud of him. He's got a hell of a role model in you. I can't thank you enough. I'm so glad. This is the most time that we've been able to spend on the air uh, together, and we are forever, I feel, in your debt. And I just I thank you for being a friend, but I thank you most of all for the patriot that you are. Thank you, Stefan. It's great to be on your show finally in person, see you in person, have some time to chat. God bless you. Dr. Ron Hugate. That wraps up our week's uh, program for the American Veteran Show. We're back next week with a brand new episode for our wonderful producer, Michael Arpaio. I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a great week ahead and remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.